0: Good morning, First Baptists. So a few years ago, my wife, uh, Melissa, went on a a girl's weekend back in Maryland where she had grown up. She was getting together with some of the women who had actually discipled her. Uh, She became a Christian in her early 20s, and she was really adopted by a group of ladies at this church back in Maryland. And when she got there to spend this weekend with these ladies, she found that they were in a lot of emotional pain and grief and as they started talking she realized that the church that she had grown up in as a christian was discipled in had just gone through a really nasty split and about half the church had left and when they started talking about this and processing what had happened she realized that it was a failure ultimately of leadership uh, there was an elder there, a, a, he was a guy just out of seminary, and an issue came up. It was at best a gray issue. It turns out that the founder of the church, um, his, his wife had just passed away, and one of her dying wishes that was, would be that her grandson would sing at her funeral. Well, the lifestyle of the grandson was not one that was consistent with the church, However, they decided to let him sing. Well, this one, this one guy, when he found out about it, he decided to take it to task. And he, he railed in front of the entire church against all of the leaders who at best let a, a very gray issue pass. And as a result of that, those 20 families left the church. You see, all it takes sometimes is for one unqualified leader to get in there and completely undo a church. And this happens all too often. Uh, In two previous churches I was in, uh, the senior pastor was asked to resign. I was in another church where there was an elder who Had an affair he ended up taking his own life and all the people in that church were left to wonder how and why did this happen so that leads me to the subject that i want to talk about today and that is well what does it take to be an elder at a church Uh, it's not an easy job it takes a lot of time it takes a certain kind of guy to be quite honest and I want to talk to you about that today. We're in a season, actually, where we're getting ready to have some new elders roll on. And before, we, before I preached this sermon, I had to assure them, look, I'm not aiming this at you, okay? It's, I think we're all okay here. But I want to talk about this today. I'm going to be reading from a couple of different books of the Bible. Uh, we'll start out in 1 Timothy, and I'll look at a verse uh, from Titus. But if you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We'll, we'll start out in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. You may be seated. So I'm continuing a series I started two weeks ago. By the way, Kevin did a fantastic job last week. If you've not listened to that sermon, I would encourage you to go to our website and check out what he had to say about uh, some very difficult words that Christ spoke during his ministry on earth. But I'm continuing this series called Church Matters. Uh, matters that are of extreme importance to the church. Two weeks ago I talked about why we do church membership. What's the point of church membership today i want to talk about this subject of elders next week i'm going to talk about deacons we're actually going to get some deacons uh installed here hopefully over the next year and get that board up and going but i think we need to understand well why do we have the way of governance that we have why do we have elders why do we have deacons and then this very tough subject well who can be an elder you know, oftentimes, well, whenever I was looking at churches, whenever I was starting to interview with churches, I tell you, when you read the job description of a pastor that churches put out there, I, I, I read these things. I'm like, well, you know, Jesus is sitting at the, sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. He, he's not available to come pastor your church. But as I read the job description, I think this is who you're looking for. <laughs> and I think elders can feel that way sometimes. And when you look at that long list of what an elder needs to be it's like man wow it's it's pretty narrow and there's nobody that's perfect so i want to go into this subject i want to look at a few things first of all i'm going to answer two questions one at the beginning one at the end first why are they called elders then secondly three qualifications of an elder i want to dig into three qualifications two in the uh the passage that we just read one will come from the book of Titus. And then finally, must an elder be a man? There's a lot of churches that are all over the place on this. I want to talk through what the scriptures are telling us. What does that mean? So let's jump into this. And first of all, well, why are they called elders? Does it mean you have to be old? As we look at these passages... (laughs) uh first of all let's start out with this greek word episkopos that's where we get the word episcopal it literally means an overseer you could also call this person a bishop and this is where we get the word episcopal this was the word that's used in that that passage we just read (coughs) but this is just one of several words that the new testament uses to describe leaders the most common one is presbyteros and that's where we get this word Elder, that's where the word Presbyterian comes from. And I think when you first hear that word elder, you start thinking, well, this is referring to someone, they must be elderly in order to be on the elder board. They must be old. And the Bible does make a connection between age and wisdom. <clears throat> we see two of these in the book of Job. In Job 12, 12, it says, wisdom is with the aged and the understanding in length of days. Again, in Job 32, 7, I said, let they speak and many years teach wisdom. And in the passage we just read, it said, don't let a recent convert be an elder. You know, they could become conceited. They could uh, then be tempted to become prideful. You know, unlike, not unlike Satan's fall. He became prideful and he fell. So there are these connections between age and wisdom the Bible makes. And then the Old Testament, when you saw the, the great council of the Jews, the Sanhedrin, it says that they were chosen from the elderly and they were referred to as elders and throughout the old testament you've got references made to elders this group of leaders in the synagogues in the new testament you see the same idea carrying over into the new churches being formed in acts 14 you see paul and barnabas traveling all around it says they were appointing elders among the churches to lead there And again, they weren't to be men new in the faith. It doesn't say exactly how long someone needs to have been a Christian to be chosen to be an elder. It doesn't say exactly how old they need to be. As a matter of fact, in pretty much all of the areas, there are some subjective judgments that have to be made when you're selecting elders. Now, I also don't want to give you the idea or notion that just because one is old, that they are wise. I came across a quote from Abigail Van Buren. She had an advice column called Dear Abby. And this is what she said about the idea that age means wisdom. She said, wisdom doesn't automatically come with old age. Nothing does except wrinkles. It's true some wines improve with age, but only if the grapes were good in the first place. So, yes, there's a connection in scripturally between age and wisdom. However, one doesn't necessitate the other. Uh, It's good uh, when, when they both come. That's the ideal package that the scriptures seem to be insinuating. So that's how they became known as elders. This is connection between age and wisdom. Now let's look at some considerations to make when selecting elders. And we'll talk about three of those that I really want to dig into um, in that passage we just read. The first one comes from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4. It says he must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. So this first consideration refers to the family of the elder or the elder candidate. And in this, the first part of this verse, it says he must manage his own household well. Another word you could use there for household is family. Now, that was, household was usually the word they would use when talking about somebody's family. It says he's to manage his family well. Now that word manage is very important. It really carries two aspects with it. One is this caring concern that a, that a man needs to have for his family. Uh, He loves them. He provides for them. He's involved with them. I was very fortunate to have grown up with a dad who was very caring, and and he provided for us all the time. He made sure our needs were taken care of. So that's this one idea of management. Uh, The the first is this provision of leadership. Uh, Is he leading his family? Is he willing to make decisions? For his family. That doesn't mean he just does it autonomously. It doesn't mean he just acts on his own. It doesn't mean he doesn't seek wisdom from his wife. I've said it before. Some of the worst mistakes I've made in my life are when I didn't listen to my wife. That's the God's own truth. She's here. She can tell you. Then the verse goes on and says, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Now, you've got to imagine, at this time, these were house churches. So when people were going to church, they were going to someone's house. By the way, the phrase going to church, I use it all the time too. But it's really not a great description of what we do on a Sunday. On Sunday, we, we gather with the church, right? The people are the church. Sometimes we confuse the building with what the church really is the the church is the gathering of of believers so they would gather at somebody's house and and that gives us some indication of how the children were to behave The, the children should be known generally speaking for obedience and good behavior let me say generally speaking there are no perfect kids out there nor are there perfect parents but what is primarily characterizing the family And then the father is to keep the children under control while also keeping himself under control. Not that he is always losing his temper with the kids. He's keeping his dignity. He's not losing it. So in order to recognize this man and consider him to be a good candidate for an elder, it's important to note how he interacts with his family. That's something that needs to be taken into consideration. Now, this is also not talking about the kids who have flown the nest. Kids are gonna grow up and they're gonna make their own decisions. This is speaking of children who are dwelling in the household with the parents. So, one other point I wanna make here, this also doesn't mean that someone has to be a father or husband to be an elder. But if they are, there's some criteria here uh, that needs to be taken into consideration when you're choosing elders. So who is this guy? I, I mean Most of us if not all of us men, I think in some way feel like we, we fall short as, as much as we want to do a good job There's no perfect parents, right? So again, there's got to be some kind of a judgment made here, uh, and, and I thought I would I thought I'd give the congregation a quiz and I think that you know more than you think you do about who a good parent might be and who may not a good parent be. So I'm going to, this is what we're going to do. I need a little audience participation. Uh, I am going to show you some pictures of some fathers out there. You're going to know, I think you're going to know immediately who the good ones are and who the bad ones are. <clears throat> so in the case of a good one, feel free to give a thumbs up and maybe a little cheer. In the case of a bad one, do a thumbs down and maybe a boo, okay? All right, so, so here we go. I think you know what we're doing. So number one. 100%. You're getting 100%. Okay, you got it. This is Ward, right? Okay. And then one more. (laughs) See? You know what? Ward Cleaver didn't have perfect kids. Uh, Opie got in trouble all the time. But see, we're talking generally. Uh, they're, They're doing their job. They're seeking out good behavior from their kids and they're doing what they can to try and make that happen <clears throat> so that first area of consideration uh, is family and then secondly i want to look at first timothy 3 7 another area of consideration it says moreover he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil this next area of concern is his friends his friends. And to be more specific, we're talking about unbelieving friends in this case. And this this has to do with observable behavior uh, that's going to be a witness to those who are outside the church. You see, Paul is concerned about those who may be less sympathetic to a potential elder, uh, that are going to be judging harshly. And even with more knowledge, because these are men that are probably seeing this guy more than once a week. It could be a coworker. Somebody they're, they're around quite a bit. And these are unbelievers that this man would also be a witness to. They would see him living out his faith. And the idea is here that they would think highly of this man. Uh <clears throat> Their verdict of him is important. I know whenever, whenever I went to seminary, one of the references that you had to have was from an unbeliever that knew you well. And I remember at the time I had my boss. I didn't tell him that that was the category he was going to be in. (laughs) But my boss, when I was working for the Navy, was not a believer. He he said he left Christianity because they wouldn't let him drink as much as he wanted to. I okay well he took off and what he said about me was going to be very important because i knew he was a straight shooter he was not going to hold anything back and fortunately i got in (laughs) so this is the idea that someone who is not a believer who doesn't hold your values still would think highly of you and the text goes on to say there's consequences to choosing a man who's not held in high regard by those outside the faith and we see this in the second half of verse 7. It says so that he may not fall into disgrace and into a snare of the devil. Now, what is it that, that this is talking about? Um, and I like what one, uh, one author said about this idea of falling into disgrace. He says unsympathetic outsiders will put the most unfavorable interpretation on the man's slightest word or deed. Well, isn't that the truth? They're going to take an opportunity to twist something if they can. There's a high possibility that if this man is not thought well of by outsiders, that they're going to slander him. And in doing so, it says he could be trapped by the devil. Meaning that in that moment, when he's slandered by someone, he could be inclined to obey the evil one, and disobey God. In other words, he might go nuts on this person and completely blow his testimony, not only to that person, but to anyone who could be around. Then they're going to be much less inclined to hear the gospel from him. Do you see that trap? So then, how do you go about finding out what his unbelieving friends think about about him? Now, Sheridan's a small town, and I'm from a small town. You typically don't keep too many secrets in a small town. People usually know about you and your reputation, what you're sort of known to be like. Uh, it kind of reminds me of whenever I was working for the Navy. Again, you had to get a security clearance from time to time. They would ask you all kinds of personal questions. Uh, and then whenever you're being interviewed about somebody else, They ask you all kinds of personal questions about them, and they would always end that interview with the same question. Is there any reason you don't think this person should have a security clearance? I wonder sometime if that's a question we should be asking the friends of potential elders. Is there any reason you don't think they should be a church leader? Do you think they would make a good church leader? Why or why not? So this second area of consideration is the the friends. And more specifically, we're talking about outsiders. We're talking about unbelieving friends of elders. And And I have to believe that the individual I talked about at the very beginning of this sermon, had someone taken the time to find out how he was behaving around unbelievers, that something would have come to the surface. I get the the feeling that he was very good about beating people over the head with the bible and very poor at loving people in the name of christ so consider the candidates friends and then i want to talk about a third area finally and it comes from the book of titus titus chapter two i'm sorry uh, titus chapter one verse nine it says he must hold firmly to the faithful message as it has been taught so that he will be able to give exhortation in such healthy teaching and correct those who speak against it. So finally, you consider his faith. You consider his faith. And uh, in the section of scripture right after verse 9, Paul begins teaching about the need to silence false teachers. Titus was actually in Crete, and there were a number of bad teachers on this island of Crete. And there were some scoundrels there. That's where we get the word Cretan from. Somebody that's acting poorly he's called a Cretan, and there were these false teachers who were probably telling people that the only way you could be saved was to be circumcised there were a number of people that would come in after paul and start giving that message that's probably what's going on here but the elder needed to know the true gospel so he could be a cheerleader to the people who were getting the gospel right and also he could condemn the people who were getting The gospel wrong teaching the wrong thing that they could spot counterfeit gospels and counterfeit teachings now i can remember years ago hearing an illustration about bank tellers and the way they train bank tellers to know whether or not something is a counterfeit is by only studying the real thing however that turns out to be not true as a matter of fact, there's a guy by the name of Roger Olson. He wrote a book called The Story of Christian Theology. And he talks about that misconception that tellers are only taught to look at the real thing. And he says that he was, uh, he went and spoke with the, uh, the Treasury Department's Minneapolis Secret Service agent in charge of t- uh, training bank tellers to identify counterfeit money. And sure enough, that secret service member verified we absolutely teach bank tellers to look at the wrong thing because they need to know how bills are commonly counterfeited and then he goes on to say this in that same book he says i believe it is important and valuable for christians to know not only theological correctness orthodoxy the word orthodoxy just it just means right teaching but also the ideas of those judged as heretics within the church's story one reason is that it is almost impossible to appreciate the meaning of orthodoxy without understanding the heresies that forced its development now it's so true when you go through history when you look at why did these men decide to hold these big councils it was always because some bad ideas had gotten into the mix. You go back to something called the Council of Nicaea that was formed because a guy named Arius had said that Jesus was not eternal, that there was a time when Jesus was not. That forced these men to get in a room together. They believed that when Holy Spirit-filled men can gather together using the word of God as the foundation, they can get to the right answer, and they did. They formulated the doctrine of Christ. Fully God, fully man, no beginning. The doctrine of the Trinity. One God, three persons of the same essence. You see, it necessitated. There's plenty of bad teaching out there. This idea that if you're not rich and healthy, it's because of some sin in your life, is a lie from the pit of hell. It's a heresy that goes clear back to the book of Job. If you read Job, you'll see those men hammering him because they're saying, just confess the sin in your life and you'll get better. And that wasn't it at all. You see the same thing in the New Testament. People were sick. Christ said, not because of their sin. God presented this moment so I could demonstrate my power. It's an old and bad idea. There's that. There's prosperity theology. There's just... There's bad ideas out there. There's Jesus only Pentecostalism. An elder does not have to be a graduate from a seminary, but he's gotta be able to spot the imposters. He's got to, he's got to know what he believes. So these three, I want to impress upon you, family, faith, and friends. And then finally, I'm to answer this question. Must an elder, must an elder be a man? Um, it's a big question and there's a lot of opinions out there. Uh, I want to consider those verses just prior to what we, rather the verses we started with today in, in Timothy three, one through seven. And I also wanna to go to Timothy 2, 1 Timothy two, 12 to 13. So this is 1 Timothy two, 12 to 13. It says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet for Adam was formed first, then Eve, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Now, these are difficult verses. Difficult, and there's been a lot of different interpretations of these. So I'm looking at this passage, and I'm asking the question, does it speak to the question as to whether or not women should be elders? And first I want to look at verse 12. And then I want us to think about what we just read in regard to the job of an elder, because if I'm If an elder is anything, they're both authoritative and they're a teacher. They're apt to teach. And the elders are these authorities in the church. And then the verse uses that phrase, remain quiet. Well, now, what does that mean? I mean, at first glance, this sounds kind of misogynistic. I don't believe that's the case. Uh, The verse actually uses this Greek word, uh, it's husukia, hisukia rather, and it means settle down, undisturbed, not unruly. Now, there's a different word the scriptures use, segao, that means to keep completely silent. So, that's not the word that's being used here. Uh, and there's a theory out there that I think holds a lot of weight as to why Paul is addressing this and why it's even part of a longer section about the authority, the, uh, the conduct of women in a church. You have to imagine, first of all, the oppression that women were under at this time. As a group of prayers that most Jewish men would say in the morning, one of them was "Thank God I was not made a woman." <laughs> it's actually a, a rabbinic prayer. comes from one of the it's, it's a group of uh, texts called the Talmud that they would use. So the message of Christianity then, when Paul came and started preaching, look. There is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, uh, that that men are to love their wives like Christ loved the church, this would have been incredibly liberating for the women that were hearing it. So this theory is that women, they started spreading their wings. It's like, well, you know what? Maybe I don't have to listen to this guy anymore. I'm frankly getting a little sick of this. Hallelujah, there's a new program in town. So... the theory is, well, maybe they started sp- spreading their wings to the point where they were now unwilling to be led. So now the idea is, well, let's, we've got to rein this in a bit. So Paul says these things. Women were to be treated with love like Christ, love like the church. That, I believe, is a good argument as to what prompted these verses. Why was it necessary to write these things out? Paul then proceeds to explain why. He starts there uh, with verse 13. He says, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Now he's appealing to, to reasons that would transcend just culture or that time period. And for Paul, the created order is more than just timing. And the roles Paul sped out here spelled out are a product of God's fundamental design. He's presenting an order here, and this comes from Genesis chapter 2 so paul saw the priority in time as indicative of the leadership given to the man to which the woman was a suitable helper to him and then we go to this next verse verse 14. and adam was not deceived but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor now now what's up with this because there's a sense in which adam was also deceived Adam also ate the fruit. Paul, the same same one who wrote this in Romans 5, as a matter of fact, he lays the guilt entirely on Adam as the one through whom sin came. And he never mentions Eve as a guilty party there. Now, I don't believe this is saying that somehow Eve is more gullible or, or more easily fooled. I don't believe that's the case. I think it's closely related to the previous verse, saying that the order of creation is reversed. In other words, it's like you've got the general and the colonel going to the enemy, and the enemy starts speaking directly to the colonel, Eve, and he completely ignores the general. I like the way John Piper states this, actually. He says, when Paul says Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived, He's saying Satan undermined the order of creation and focused his deceptive words on Eve and made her the spokesman, not Adam. And she became the focus of the deception, not Adam. Adam failed in his leadership, and she was willing to take it up. And the result was the fall and all of its consequences. I do believe the job of El. And the reasons that transcend any kind of a limited cultural understanding of that passage i want to be clear that that does not mean that women are less competent in any way Uh, i seek out the wisdom of of many women uh, here in our church uh, that are older and wiser and in going through seminary there were women that knew way more than i did this is not a question of competency Rather, this is a question of God's order and design. He's the one that set this. So to sum this all up, I want to close with these these three. Consider his family, faith, and friends. Is is his family generally well-behaved? Can he recognize a false gospel? And what does the outsider think of him? I want to close uh, with this picture. This was taken... Uh, when I was installed here uh, at this, as a senior pastor at First Baptist Church. Now, when I was interviewing here at First Baptist, uh, I was falling in love with the church. I, I loved what they stood for. I loved what they believed. I loved the people I was meeting. And then I got more of the history about what's happened in the past few years here at First Baptist. If you've been around, if you've been around here probably four years or more, you know that there was a time when two pastors submitted a resignation in the span of a week. Now, oftentimes that will crack a church in half. Perhaps most of the time that will just crack a church up. Now, what struck me is that not only was this church not broken up by that, this church actually thrived after that. It grew after that. And I can't help but think it has a lot to do With the men who are holding this church together this church has a fantastic elder board i'm very excited about the men that have been selected as a matter of fact i believe you can read the names of the incoming elders that will be voted on at our next business meeting i'm excited about who we currently have and i'm excited about who's to come i believe that god has blessed this church immensely with the elders that he's placed here with whom i'm very thankful to serve Join me right now as we just pray and thank God for the elders that we have. Please pray with me. God, you have set your order in the scriptures. And God, we submit to you in all things. And God, I want to thank you so much for the men that you have selected to lead First Baptist Church at this time. I'm thankful for their commitment I'm thankful for their commitment to the gospel, to your teaching. Lord, I'm thankful I get to serve with men who have been well thought of by the community. And God, I want to lift up those men that are coming in. Thank you for Paul Van Dyke. Thank you for Gabe Johnson. And their willingness to serve you in a way that's sacrificial, challenging, but also exciting. And God, I pray that you would bless our weak and feeble efforts, God, as we lean on you and ask for your wisdom. we ask this in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I believe we have a new member to announce, Kevin. Yes. Okay. No. Okay. Let me leave you with this. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you all so much for being here today, and you're dismissed. By the way, we're taking up an elder fund. You'll see some men with plates at the door. That's how we provide for those in need here in our body. Have a great day.